Welcome to Gone Too Soon, the podcast where we revisit great TV shows that were canceled before their time. I'm Drew. And I'm Kyle. Drew, what failed TV show are we talking about this time? Today, we'll be talking about the critically acclaimed NBC dramedy that launched a thousand careers but failed to make a ratings dent, Freaks and Geeks. It premiered on NBC September 25th of 1999 and was canceled on March 20th in the year 2000. A fan-led campaign convinced NBC to air three more episodes on July 8th of 2000, but ultimately, three episodes were never seen until the show was picked up by Fox Family Channel for syndication. In all, 18 episodes were produced. Before we get into this first episode of the podcast, Kyle and I just wanted to jump in with a couple of notes. That's right. We know how much you love listening to notes. As we record this, it's April of 2018. The audio you're about to hear was recorded back in 2017. And for various reasons, we had to put the show aside until now. So you'll hear numerous references to it being 2017 and to Freaks and Geeks being canceled 17 years ago. Also, when we originally conceived the show, the format was a little different, where we talked about the show in general, then did an episode-by-episode breakdown, and then spoke to our guest. Now we've split off the episode-by-episode breakdown into its own episode of the podcast, because nobody has time for a four-hour podcast. So you may hear some references to later on in the show, or earlier in the show, that were actually on different podcast episodes. Finally, the audio quality on the first one wasn't the greatest, but we have since fixed that, so stick around for higher fidelity in the future. Thanks for indulging us as we get started, and we hope you enjoy Freaks and Geeks. Now, Kyle, before we get into this episode of the podcast, why don't we take everybody through why we're doing this podcast? Yeah, I mean, like when we grew up, you and I, back in the 90s, it's like it was still in that time when something would just get canceled and you would just kind of you would lose it and you would have to find it in other ways. It wasn't necessarily on DVD yet. It was just a darker time. And these are interesting uh, topics, I think, to talk about the television history of it all is what happened to these shows. Why did this happen to them? Exactly. And now it's just so easy. People take it for granted that you can just find these shows on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu and they're picking up old series. They're picking up new series. They're taking old series and giving them a new life and a reboot. But when you and I were kids, we had to like download this stuff from the Internet if we wanted to see it when there was great content and it was just not accessible. So we want to revisit those shows that we loved and they just went away and they were hard to find. They were gone too soon, one might say. (laughs) (laughs) So we met when we were about 11. We both had an interest in music and then we found out that we had an interest in movies and TV and everything pop culture. The conversation about all that stuff has not stopped since. It's been going ever since that time and now it's going on the internet yeah and we (laughs) now we live we live three thousand miles apart you live in virginia i live in los angeles and we can go months without talking and one day i can just call you out of the blue and we skip the pleasantries we skip the small talk (laughs) and it's just oh hey i watched whatever on tv or i saw this movie and we just talk about what we loved about it Yeah, it's just like, you know, no time has passed, old times, just instantly. But that's because I think you and I have always had a rapport or a connection or just something. But every time I talk to you, I feel it sort of click back into place. And it's just like riding a a roller coaster that you've been on a thousand times. And, you know, every sort of move it's going to take and everything. Exactly. So we figured... (laughs) Let's just do this on a podcast, and I wouldn't have thought of anybody else to do this with, especially because you and I watched the same shows growing up, we lamented when they got cancelled, we tried to find them again so that we could watch them together and talk about them. Freaks and Geeks, for example, was 17 years ago now, Uh, and I remember us like finding it again on Fox Family Channel. Uh, And then years later, when it finally came out on DVD, finally being able to watch it from beginning to end. It was great to see that again and be reminded of exactly why the show had an impact, because a huge part of it was that pilot episode. 
and to be able to go back and watch that from the very beginning and see that again, which is really like a one hour little movie or short story or something. It, it's, it feels like a movie. It, the whole show looks very cinematic. And that first episode was actually filmed in the real school. And all the episodes after that episode were filmed in a set that they built to look exactly like that school because it was so perfect for the look that they were going for. And so you have that and so much quality behind the show. That's why we wanted to do this one first, because this is a great show to talk about in the sense that it really looked good. The cast was great. It had so many things going for it. And it was really tragic when this one got canceled. Yeah. And I'm betting that there are so many execs at NBC that are just kicking themselves because so many of these people directors and writers and producers and Judd Apatow and, and all the actors went on to do amazing things and they became the juggernauts of comedy for the next decade and a half. And they just let this one slip by them. That's right. I think that there were people there who didn't share the vision of the show, didn't have a sort of romantic notion about rebels and the 70s and 80s and you know outcasts and being a nerd and being a freak and all that stuff they maybe some of them came from wealth and just didn't really understand that kind of world and uh i think that that's something that i believe totally contributed to that but also very poor ratings we were looking at the what are they called the nielsen ratings the nielsen ratings the end-all-be-all of television, especially in this era of television, right. uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, ratings were king, and mm. you just couldn't ignore them. But at the same time, the show wasn't given the chance to thrive. It premiered on a Saturday night at 8 o'clock. It was up against Cops, the 10th season of Cops. It mm. was up against... 60 Minutes, all these news stories that were staples of Saturday night and still are today because nobody is watching TV on a Saturday night except for old people who like to watch news stories. And it was up against college football for most of its time. So it it never really got the chance to thrive. The first episode got 9.1 million viewers, which is like the low end of respectable. It still made it like the worst rated show of the evening. And this is a time in television history where NBC had the three top rated scripted series for that entire season. They had Friends, they had ER, and they had Frasier. And this is just about a year after Seinfeld ended. And these shows were pulling in between 25 million and like 40 million viewers on average. So a paltry 9 million just wasn't going to cut it. Today, for instance, The Office, during its huge run on NBC, it's whatever, nine seasons, I think it was, it only averaged about 6 million viewers, and that made it a hit TV show. So this was just before the era of the internet and cable television and reality shows. The 2000 season was the first time a reality program broke the uh, the top 20 rated shows. So this was, it came out, Freaks and Geeks came out in a very odd time in television history where it just really never had a chance. Well, that is a very true statement for so many reasons because... The show also, just the way it's structured, is structured in a very episodic way, not a serialized sort of ongoing way, the way that we expect shows, we sort of expect shows nowadays. You know, you watch Game of Thrones and it's like the pilot episode of Game of Thrones, the the, the sort of shockwave effect of the pilot is still being felt in episodes today. And all of that has been carried out. See, in Freaks and Geeks, the pilot episode ends and you think that's what's going to happen because that's what it feels like it should be. But then it doesn't do that. It resets and it just sort of changes. Uh, I almost knocked over my water here. It sort of changes back to uh, just a new subject matter. It just the next episode is just like, yeah, everything that happened before almost didn't happen except for the fact that she met up with the freaks and everything. But now we're talking about beer. Oh, and then on this episode, we're going to talk about pot. 
Oh, and then on this episode, and, and every episode has its own sort of, it's very isolated feeling. Exactly. And that was actually more the trend of that time because DVRs didn't really exist and binge watching was not really a thing that was thought of yet. So somebody could come into this show on episode three, on episode six, on episode nine, and they would have to kind of be able to easily get into this world and not have all these callbacks to these other episodes. So I feel like that also kind of led to its downfall in that there was no real way to get into a groove on this show, and especially the way that NBC decided to air these episodes. For instance, the first two episodes aired two weeks in a row, and then it took four weeks off because of the uh, the World Series of that year in October. It aired four more episodes, and then it went down uh, mid-November, wasn't seen again until January of 2000, and they moved it to Monday nights. It got a little bit of a kick up that time uh, because it was on a more common TV time. Uh, it had been averaging a about five and a half million viewers on Saturday nights after that first uh, that first episode, the pilot episode. But then it started getting about seven and a half million views. Again, not huge. It was down about 50% less than its time slot from the previous season. And that's that's just death uh, to a network executive. So it never really got the chance to get its foothold it aired about seven more episodes on Monday nights and then went away, uh, canceled on on March 22nd after its uh, 12th episode aired. And it just never really got the chance to, to really gather the audience that it really needed to survive. Well, what about uh, the overall like sort of story and the characters and everything? Just for in case there are some people in our audience who have never seen the show or remember it and don't exactly remember every last detail. You know, that's another reason for us doing these podcasts. Like, if you haven't seen Freaks and Geeks, listen to this next little bit of the podcast. We're going to tell you what it's all about. Then we're going to stop for a little bit. We're going to go into spoiler territory. We're going to do an episode-by-episode breakdown. So after you've watched Freaks and Geeks, come back, listen to that breakdown. We're going to talk about it in detail. But we really just want everybody to experience this show and love it the way that we did. So why don't you you give us a little bit of the the overview of the plot, the world that uh, Freaks and Geeks is set in. Uh, okay, so it's set in uh, 1980 at a high school uh, called McKinley High, and there's two different groups of teenagers. One's younger, one's older, and uh, the older ones are like the freaks from the title, and they're led by the cool and charismatic dude Daniel Desario. And this tomboy chick, Lindsay Weir, wants to fit in with Daniel and his friends. And she's like a mathlete, though. That's her roots. She has like very mathlete, good girl roots. And she's trying to break free of that because her uh, her grandmother or her aunt died. Her grandmother had just was passed at the, be- uh, the beginning of the pilot episode. That's right. And when she was dying, she she didn't see a light or anything. And this sort of crushed Lindsay's, uh, I guess, spirit, maybe her faith uh, in, in society and being a good girl and, and doing everything the right way and not really taking any risks or whatever. And she just decided, screw that, and I'm just going to live life if there really is nothing after it, I guess. And it has mixed results throughout the show. Sometimes it works to her favor in the sense that it makes her a smarter, more depthful, interesting person through through an experience, but sometimes it has disastrous results and, you know, she might crash a car or, uh, something, something terrible might happen, but, uh, there's always like a moral message to every episode and everything. And there's also the B story, I guess, of the geeks. And that's like her little brother, which is Sam Weir and his two best friends, uh, Bill Haverchuk and Neil Schweiber. And, uh, their story always sort of co- uh, collides with whatever the freak story is going on. And they're the ones usually dealing with the more dramatic stuff, the freaks, I mean. But then the geeks come in and they're always dealing with something kind of cute and innocent and fun almost. 
And uh, not almost, it is, but it, it's always, like, embarrassing. There's always, like, a humiliating factor to what happens to Sam or his friends, and they're always getting the short end of whatever the stick is uh, on in the plot or the show or whatever. But all that comes from Paul Feig's true life experiences, uh, apparently. And I think that's something that uh, helps make this show good, is how honest he and also the other writers were about... Uh, a lot of the humiliating, strange things that happen to the freaks and the geeks, you know, uh, and and it gives the show lots of fodder, and it just chronicles, you know, the normal teen adolescence problems that any teenager goes through. Everything from like drugs to alcohol to bullying to uh, having your television show canceled after only one season, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all the normal things that normal kids go through. And I feel like. That's what really set this show apart from even the things that were on at the time. Like, there's a lot of comparisons of Freaks and Geeks to Dawson's Creek, which was like the huge show at the time, which I believe premiered in like 1997, 1998. Uh, so it had been on for about a year or two. And going back and revisiting Dawson's Creek, you really realize like how dramatized that world was. It was like everything was sex 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 and like and it was so dramatic and over analyzed and like these these melodramatic melodramatic they were the the kids were just so unbelievable as real teenagers but like the freaks and geeks cast are so relatable they all look normal they're funny because of how real they are and some of them are just some of them also i'd say are just like awesome comedians and stuff like the dude who plays bill is just a genius yeah that's uh martin star martin uh star, that's yeah right. he's just in the spider-man movie i just saw spider-man homecoming and he was the teacher i was like oh my gosh and it was really good too i mean i don't want to get too much into it because this is about freaks and geeks but i mean the guy who played sam weir wrote this movie and it, with another person and i don't know uh you know how much of it was him or whatever but it was really well done really good very like one of the best marvel films i've seen yeah but you can really see in spider-man homecoming where john francis daly grew up in the world of paul feig and judd apatow that's where yes. he cut his teeth that's what what he knows uh, yeah. And you can see that in Superbad as well. Uh, Seth Rogen plays Ken Miller in uh, Freaks and Geeks. He wrote Superbad while on the set of Freaks and Geeks. So the influence of this show just permeates from when it was conceived all the way up to today. It, it, it has an amazing staying power in the sense that... Uh, it was just cast so well. And uh, I think it was Allison Jones. Allison Jones, yes. She won the uh, the show's only Emmy. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah. I was going to compliment her because I was like, I had to look up her name and everything. I was like, uh, uh, when I was doing my notes and everything, because I was just like, she must must be awesome because she's uh, done so many things. She uh, also casts uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Boy Meets World, Knocked Up, Super Bad, Parks and Recreations, Bridesmaids, Paranorman, which everybody says is good. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, Veep, which was a show I was really into for a while. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm and a bunch of upcoming film and television projects. Whoever she is, I think she's a genius at her job and maybe at life in general, too. I don't know. Yeah. Allison Jones, <laughs> if you're listening, please reach out to us. We'd like to send you a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> you she really just must have the best eye for casting like she, I think she so, yeah. found in this cast the juggernauts of comedy for all of the 2000s Seth Rogen yeah. James Franco Jason Jason Siegel and that guy I know for a fact that uh, Judd Apatow actually championed because Judd actually saw that as being a good reflection of how he was in high school. Very awkward, the kind of guy who girls would mistake for being, like, creepy and a stalker or something like that. And he said that Siegel sort of just, you know, had that, had such a great take on the character that just seemed exactly like what he went through in high school. So you see a lot of personal touches going into this show from 
the creators, the producers, because Judd Apatow is just the executive producer, I think, of the show. And uh, he put so much of himself into it, I think, and, and so did Feig, obviously. And, and he asked the other writers on the show to put so much. You had told me they had gone on like a retreat or something like that. Uh, and, uh, no, the, the story that I read is that on day one of the writer's room, Paul Feig and Judd Apatow passed out questionnaires and said what was the most awkward thing that happened to you in high school who were you in love with like what was the greatest thing that happened to you in high school and all the writers really put all their personal touches into it because they thought it was something that was just going to be between them and Paul Feig and Judd Apatow uh but then the next day Paul and Judd walked into the writer's room with a binder for everybody with everybody's questionnaires photocopied in there so everybody could read everything that everybody else wrote and they could talk about it. They were conversation starters and like everybody would go around the writer's room and say, sorry, that happened to you, man. So every storyline that happens in Freaks and Geeks, with the exception of one, which we'll get into uh, in the, the spoiler portion of the show later really happened to one of the writers and that's what really gives this show a lot of meaning like I relate to this show on so many levels because you know you've got the geeks who are all freshmen in this world and you know that was really me in my freshman years uh and that was you like we were freshmen at the same time like we were we were huge geeks like we were just into pop culture we were quoting star trek uh like like sam was and doing our best shatner impressions and quoting bill murray or like you know the the contemporary equivalent uh but then the freaks are juniors in this in this scenario and kind of when i got into to my junior years, like I was rebelling, I was trying to figure myself out. You know, I was wearing weird clothes and I thought I was like this huge punk, which, you know, the in the eighty in the nineteen eighty world, like rockers were kinda like they were the outside culture and like right. you know, like we, you and I kind of grew up uh parallel, so like you know, yeah. punk punk rock or pop punk rock was kind of like the the outside worlds and emo. Like that was kind of how I identified myself in my junior years. So like I really identified with both groups in this and like almost every scenario that they portray in this show. I find myself going, that was me. That was how I felt. This is just taking me back. Like I feel it on so many levels because I just relate to it so deeply. Yeah, I think that the the actors and the writers to an extent, but really the actors are doing a really good job of getting their character to make a connection with the audience, but also the design of the uh, dynamics between the characters overall and the, even the physical, the visual design of the characters is just very good. It's almost like Simpsons-level quality of, like, every character is a well-conceived concept unto themselves. And so it gives the show a lot of versatility, a lot of license to follow different characters uh, on different journeys. And I think if we'd gotten to see more of it, I, I think that part of the show would have blossomed even more and we would have seen uh, even more stories and even more cast members. That's one of the sad things about it is that this show would have been a magnet for talent if it had gone on for like five seasons or six seasons. And we could have gotten probably a lot more people like Jonah, Jonah Hill might've gotten famous through this instead of through super bad. <laughs> You're right. You know, that's what's so great about this show also from a casting standpoint is, you know, we we listed off James Franco and Jason Segel and and Seth Rogen and all these stars that featured in every episode. But they also were able to get these these small bit parts that were filled by people that also went on to become huge actors Uh in one of the episodes we're going to talk about later, Rashida Jones features pretty heavily as a guest actor. Jason Schwartzman was in uh, one of the episodes as a uh, a guy selling fake IDs. Uh, Shia LaBeouf 
played a small role in one of the episodes, and he actually apparently auditioned to be, uh, I think, Sam Weir. I think so, yeah, if memory serves. And also, uh, interestingly enough, she didn't appear on the show, but Lauren Ambrose uh, from Six Feet Under uh, was considered for the role of Lindsay Weir. That was the chick with the red hair from uh, Six Feet Under who was really good on that show. And I think would have done good as Lindsay Weir. Uh, but I'm, I really liked uh, Linda Cardellini, and uh, she was a character. She played a character for a while in ER. I used to watch ER back in the day. Uh, I think I, I can't remember how many seasons I watched because it went on for a long time, and I eventually stopped, I guess. But I did see her. She came on and replaced a very important like a nurse character who left the show. Uh, yeah, she she also featured pretty heavily on uh, Mad Men. Oh, really? See, I have not seen Mad Men yet, so that's interesting to know. So uh, all of these actors... Just went on, on to, to do, do things. great yeah. things. Uh, Sam Levine was in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Right. Uh, Martin Starr is in uh, is on Silicon Valley now. He plays like my favorite char- character, Gilfoyle. He was also very funny in Knocked Up. Yes. So he he went on to do a lot of the Judd Apatow movies with these guys playing smaller roles. Yeah. Uh, yeah he did a lot with with the little roles he was given. That that whole shtick with the beard really stands out. When you go back and watch uh, Knocked Up, you're like, ah, that's really funny. And 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 I didn't know that was him back then when I saw the movie for the first time. So I always thought it was interesting because uh, he played an entirely different character in Knocked Up than what you saw in Freaks and Geeks. It just goes to show the range that actor had. I'll probably talk about that. A couple of times, because I just think he's my favorite character from the show. He's one of the best things uh, to me about the show that stands out as being like, whoa. And I I don't really understand why he never got more famous, but I guess I don't really watch uh, Silicon Valley, so I didn't know he was on that. So I guess he's not not famous anymore. Oh, no. Yeah, he's... Oh, you gotta watch Silicon Valley, man! Like it is. Oh hilarious. yeah, no people keep telling me that. I know it always takes me forever to get around to things, but uh, I probably will eventually yeah. see that. But yeah, and he has that that very deadpan delivery that he has in Freaks and Geeks, and that just right. makes it so much funnier. He's, yeah, you can tell he's so smart. Exactly, and you know he yeah. There are a lot of the writers said and producers later said that uh, Bill was really the heart of the show. Uh, and if it had gone on for more seasons, uh, he would have been ended up featuring really heavily. Whereas Sam and Lindsay were the main characters. I feel like they were they were just vehicles to explore all these other ancillary characters, uh, and and not to the detriment of Sam and Lindsay. They they were very effective as their own characters, but uh, it, it was really just building this whole world of a high school that felt so realistic that it it makes your stomach churn whenever something awkward happens to one of these guys. Yeah. Like that's what made that really set this show apart and I I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, it's got it's got a lot of great qualities and one of the best uh, opening uh, title sequences ever. Every time that song kicks on You watch the whole thing, and that's the telltale sign of a great opening, is when you watch the whole opening title sequence, and you love it every time, and it never gets old. Exactly. You never skip over it. Yeah, it's such a, it's just a rockin' song, and everything that they do when they sit, when they sit down in the chair, I love when Seth Rogen sits down in the chair, and he's just, like, staring, like, really harshly, but it's cool looking, and they all have different things they do, and what was it, James Franco, he, he like, smiles five seconds after they... Yeah. After they snap the picture, it's it's just funny. It's everyone does their own little thing, and, and you can just really tell what each character is all about in the right. one and a half seconds that they're on screen. That's right. That's how good they are. That's how good this cast is. Is they can get two seconds of your time, and in that two seconds, just using their costumes and their behavior and the way they smile and giggle, you can tell whether they're a pothead or a geek or what. And uh, it's because they just cast really great people. I mean. Uh, that's an instance right there where you can tell that the writing is is a huge part of the show, but it's not the reason that people fell in love with the show, I don't think. Even though it's good, at times it's great. But also, this cast does so much more with the material. They elevate it, I think, so much, especially in the mind of the viewer. And you, you can really tell that the writers and the producers 
and the directors like took what they were getting out of these actors, what they were seeing and really put their personalities into the writing. So like when I watch this show, it's almost like I'm watching James and Seth and Linda and Sam like all hanging out together, not really like their characters, if that makes any sense. Yeah, their interactions are so realistic. The show itself always sets it up in a way that it sort of reminds you that it's a television show by saying, here's the subject of today's episode. And usually they'll all be like walking down the hallway. And it's very, it became very sort of formulaic at a certain point, I think, in the show. But their actual interactions, the actors themselves, and some of them imp- improvised, uh, those are always feel very natural and very uh, real, I think, and true to their characters. They stayed true to those characters that they were given in the pilot. And the episodes allowed certain actors, I think pretty much all of them, to explore their characters in more three-dimensional ways uh, as the season went on. Uh, but I don't know if they ever hit the glory of that pilot again, but it is a very like amazing show that should have gotten many more seasons after and that's why it's gone too soon is because no show is perfect but like we said this came in a time that was all wrong for it it was a show that would have been worked really great like right now basically if it came out tomorrow it would just be a surefire hit no question and i even think that it even two more years like two three more years like i think right around then is when the office premiered uh And a little bit after that, Parks and Recreation. And this is kind of in that same vein of comedy uh, where there's a lot of heart to it. Like, you know, Office and Parks and Rec are a little bit more outright comedies. And there's there's a lot more drama in Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, Freaks and Geeks goes into hard drama quite frequently. It's one of the things that's really good about the show is that sometimes it's really good at just fluctuating back and forth between comedy and drama without getting too, I was afraid when I went back and rewatched it for this, I was afraid that my sort of criticism of the show was going to be that it felt jarring to go back and forth from the comedy and the drama. Cause I remember those two elements from it. But when I watched it, what I found amazing was that it, that wasn't an issue at all. That was actually something that the show really did very well and pretty much all throughout every episode, it, it's very good about how it trans transfers you to something more heavy and more dramatic and then back into something comedic without feeling cheap or anything because you have, yeah, because you have the freaks and geeks thing. The freaks are doing something dramatic while the geeks are doing something comedic and then vice versa. I think that's sort of how it worked. Yeah, it, 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 you're right. It, it did almost start to feel a little formulaic, but it just is a formula that worked like they were able to take the dramatic moments and use comedy to like soften them because like, that's what I did when I was a kid. Like if I was in an awkward situation or a dramatic situation or something where I didn't know how to handle it, I would, I would use comedy uh, to try to like deflect that situation. I feel like that's what the characters are doing a lot. You know, they're like, they're, they're, awkwardly stumbling through these these growing up situations just like you and i did yeah sometimes using comedy as like a defense mechanism even against some of this stuff except against the awkwardness of some of this stuff exactly and that's why i feel like this show is just timeless like you know it is really yeah It was, you know it premiered in 1999 it was set in 1980 so it already Mm didn't have to deal it with the staying current. Like there's no, there's no Zach Morris cell phone that really dates it because, you know, it was in a, it was already set in the past. So like, it's, it's really timeless. You can pick this up right now in 2017 and you're still going to relate to it. Although I do wonder if, Kids that are going to high school now, if they are going to really relate to this on a level that we might have, you know, like we we went to school in the early 2000s, uh, 2000 to 2004. Uh, and, you know, we, we we had the Internet. We started to have those kinds of things. But I, I wonder if like millennials and the next generation are going to relate to this the way that we did Uh but right now, I feel like if you are 
over 25 years old, you're really going to relate to this. And especially if you went to public school, this is the show for you. It's available on Netflix right now. Go watch every episode from beginning to end. I want to talk about your, what you have next, what these questions are about this show, because I, I, I think I know what my answer is to what I think should happen, uh, what I would like to see from this show in the future. We're going to end every podcast with the same question. Like, we know every series that we cover is going to be a great series that we love. And we we really wish always that there would have been a second season or a third season, whichever it ended up being canceled in. Uh, but now we're talking about it's 17 years after the show uh, ended. So we're talking about the now. And the question is, does this show deserve a new second season, a reboot, a movie, or should we just let it lie as it is? And what do you think, Kyle? Uh, I think that what we really need, uh, in the same style as uh, Firefly, uh, we need a movie that really takes everything from the show and does it the way that it would work so much better, which is as a movie, as a big film. I, I said that the pilot for Freaks and Geeks felt like a movie and that certain episodes feel like movies made by independent filmmakers and they're very dramatic and funny at times and it merges all together very artfully in the best episodes. A great movie like that would be amazing and to bring all these characters back and bring all this chemistry back and see where the characters are at 17 years later and see what's happened to them. I think that would be fun as a movie. And I think if you did it the right way, you could set all those characters up for the first time for people who had never seen the television show and make them all work in that movie. Give them all, you know, give the audience enough information right there in that movie to know who those characters are without having to have seen the television show. But for those of us who did see the television show, holy crap, that's going to be awesome to see all those characters come back. Even if it's the smallest cameo ever, it's going to be amazing. And I think that movie would get all the people who love Freaks and Geeks, the audience that it's grown over the years, plus other people who are maybe curious about Freaks and Geeks, but no, don't necessarily want to go back and watch a television show from the 90s that only lasted one season. You know what I mean? But a movie would attract them, I think. A new movie, especially with all this star power, because all these dudes have names now. James Franco and Seth Rogen, these dudes bring audiences now. So I think this movie would be a like just an awesome hit. And if, if Judd Apatow directed it, I guess Paul V would have to be involved because he created the damn thing. So he would be brought back. But also I hope Judd Apatow would come back too and try and get that magic back, bring that creative team back. All those people should work together to make the awesome Freaks and Geeks movie. And that's what I would like to see. But what, what do you think? Do you agree with that? So or would you I just say back? I have questions about your thing first. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so is this a movie set in 1997 Chippewa, Michigan, and it's all the characters are grown up and we're seeing what they did? Or are are these recast people as high schoolers and we're back in 1980 Chippewa, Michigan? No, no, no. This is 17 years later in the film's continuity for sure because you'd want to see Seth Rogen. You'd want to see James Franco. You'd want to see these characters. Now, it would affect things in terms of what the show is about because it's supposed to be about young people going through experiences, but that's what you have a new cast for and you sort of do a, a passing of the torch, as it were, almost model it after how like super bad is set up where you have these younger characters, but then you have these older characters that come in and sort of, uh, are mentory to them. I guess that's not really how super bad is set up. I, I was just thinking about the cops and everything, but like that, we're like Seth Rogen and the other guys are not necessarily the main characters. Cause that'll be whoever the new freaks and geeks are, but these are the guys. Some of them are like the, the school counselor, like Lindsay Weir could be the, the school counselor. And She'd probably be the school math teacher. She's the new uh, Mr. Kachevsky. Oh yeah, yeah, that's even more perfect. Yeah, bring them back as like teachers and 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 or the gym teacher. I bet uh, James, uh, I mean Jason Siegel's character could be like the gym teacher or something. And I, I don't know. I think that'd be cool. So you think that there's a new set of high school students, 
but all of our characters are back. They're in the town somewhere. Uh, we meet them at grocery stores. We meet them at other places, some of the side characters. But then some of them actually, like Lindsay, actually work at the school. So this is like a girl meets world situation. Yes. Good. Where it's good, a new generation, comparison. but Cory and Topanga are still there. Yes. Or a uh, Say by the Bell, the new class situation where you still got Screech. But see, instead of just having Screech, you have like all of them there. Because it's not a new television show, it's a new movie. So you can get all those people to come back for a movie. If it's a television show, it's a little bit harder, you know, because those people have careers. So they're not necessarily going to come back and do Fuller House where they get to whether it's a television show that goes on and on and on, but a movie would be awesome. Just a freaks and geeks movie would be, I think maybe a powerhouse thing. If they wanted to do it, I think they could do it. And if they did it right, it could work, (laughs) but, but I, I don't think they will, but that's what I would love to see in my sort of dream. Here's what I think. I think that this was a series of its time. It was a series of its place, and I think that we should just let it lie. <laughs> I think that, you know, it's it's been it's been 17 years. So much has happened to not only the characters, but the actors. And having them relegated to secondary roles, to some new freaks and geeks that we don't know. I just, I, I can't really get behind that. Like I might be able to get behind like uh, a spiritual sequel to freaks and geeks where it's, it is kind of like the same characters, but it's not set around high school. And it is like, uh, you know, Lindsay has gone off and done something almost like a, I guess, garden state situation where like Lindsay has gone off and, and done something and she's coming back to her hometown. When, when you said spiritual th- sequel, I thought you meant something more like, uh, what was that show? Uh, undergrads or whatever the next yeah. show they did. That's the the next of, show was undergrads. Yeah. That's uh, like a spiritual sequel. I would say. To- yeah. And I guess maybe, yeah, I guess maybe I am thinking of like a, a more hard movie sequel where it's it's them because i i do want to see what these characters are up to but like i just fear that it would be so poorly done and mishandled even in the hands of apatow uh i i just feel like this had its time and we can all go back and revisit 1980 mckinley high school whenever we want thanks to netflix and dvds uh and and we should just let it lie and we can we can revisit every few years when we miss these these characters we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll have an interview with our very special guest tom wilson gone too soon is brought to you by the good people at lanyap wine tours planning a trip to the napa valley region can be daunting with over 400 wineries, each offering different levels of price and service. Let Lanyap take the guesswork out by offering you a customized tour of small wineries where you will receive personalized attention you won't get anywhere else. In New Orleans, Lanyap means a little something extra. And that's what you'll get with their tours. Access to places the general public doesn't usually get to see. And now, for a limited time, if you use our special offer code Gone Too Soon. You'll get 10% off your first tour booked with Lanyap. So whether you've already booked your plane tickets or are just thinking about it, go to Lanyap Wine Tours and enter our code Gone Too Soon at checkout. That's L-A-G-N-I-A-P-P-E WineTours.com. And now, back to the show. So joining us now, you'll know him as Coach Fredericks on Freaks and Geeks. We've got Tom Wilson. Tom, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Wonderful to be on. This is the first one, right? Very first one. This is the inaugural podcast. What is the podcast called? Gone Too Soon. Gone Too Soon. Yep. Talking about all kinds of television series that were just canceled before they even got a chance to take hold. Well, we'll talk about Freaks and Geeks this episode, but there are many shows that I've been a part of that were gone far too soon. So I'll see you on another episode about- uh, We would uh, love that. Zach Stone is going to be famous. Um, 
But I, I've been on some shows that, I mean, Zach Stone is going to be famous. Uh, was Bo Burnham's show on MTV that nobody saw. Great show. Gone way too soon. But anyway, Freaks yeah. and Geeks was uh, definitely gone too soon. Absolutely. I think it's it's well regarded as one of the, the top series that was just canceled way before its time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, during during its run when it was being moved by the network when it was coming up against this the olympics or something like that it would always be moving it was uh, and changing. the world series the world series uh, uh you know so the new york times wrote an article you know like please please watch this show don't take it off the air and i boy i'd never been a part of anything like that critics were actually begging to keep it um to keep it alive but alas Alas, here we Alas. are 17 years later talking about- It was 17 about- years, wow, yeah. Uh, so could you take us back to, to the very beginning? Like, how did you become a part of the Freaks and Geeks family? Uh, I knew Judd Apatow from stand-up comedy. I met Judd maybe maybe when he was 18, maybe even 17, I don't know, but he was a teenager uh, coming to the comedy club and, and coming to the improv here in LA. And I met him there and uh, Paul Feig was also in stand-up. So, so I knew both guys, but we hadn't really worked together. Uh, Judd came, when Judd was writing and uh, writing with uh, Gary Shandling on, on his show, uh, Judd came over to my office at Disney, I had I was on a writer. I had a contract there, like a development deal at Disney, and he came over and um, came over to meet with me and pitch me a couple things. And I, I, at that point, I said something like, "Hey, hey, Judd, listen. I mean, don't waste your time with me over here at Disney because they're not. They don't care what I have to say over here. Nothing's going to happen with me here. And you know, so." So don't worry about it. I mean, it's really nice to see you and everything, but don't hook your wagon to this because this whole production thing with Disney's going down. Anyway, I think Judd actually appreciated that, me being completely honest with him over at my office. And, um, you know, but we got along before that anyway. So Freaks and Geeks was happening. And uh, and actually, everyone auditioned for it because it was very, um, it was a very improvisational audition. It was both, um, both prepared scenes and uh, and improv to camera, which was at that time, we're talking now 17 years ago, um, far more unusual than it is now. I mean, it's unusual now, but then it was almost unheard of to, um, you know, to read the scenes and then to kind of improvise within the framework of the scenes and things like that. So um, so so I was improvising uh, a, a character that was only a tiny, tiny part of the pilot. Uh, the the coach, you know, I mean, the coach is the, the customary gym teacher um, in the pilot. And uh, and those guys, uh, you know, I credit with. Well, you can credit them with, of course, the greatness of the show. But the greatness of the show is based on um, enriching and fleshing out all of the characters of the show, making them into human beings, even a gym teacher. Yeah, I've, I felt when I was doing the rewatch right before we recorded this podcast that the the very first episode was a little bit one dimensional, like they were almost playing on stereotypes. I think you almost have to in order to make a deal for television, because the um, the executives won't understand what you're talking about if you're talking about real characters, real situations. Um, that's you know a show of some nuance and sophistication, which it certainly was. Uh, they won't understand what you're talking about. You have to talk about. Um, just sort of stereotypes, and it's a show about archetypes. Uh, just archetypal characters, and right. you get the pilot on, and then you begin your work at making them into human beings and really making um, uh, very rich storylines. Now, Tom, by my math, uh, you would have been in high school in the late 70s, just before Freaks and Geeks took place. Right. Uh, was your public high school experience, is that like Freaks and Geeks? Did you, con- uh, Geeks, did you connect to that? Yes. I mean, it was, it was almost identical to my high school experience. Mine was a little, a little rougher than maybe the Geeks in Freaks and Geeks. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was definitely a geek. I mean, I... I yeah, I, I was. I'm the guy. You know, I went on the Nerdist podcast and challenged uh, Chris Hardwick and those guys. I said, "I'm. I think I'm the biggest nerd ever to be on the Nerdist podcast because, uh, 
Yeah, because I was um, I played the tuba in the band. Uh, I was president of the debating team, and my debate partner uh, in high school was David Brooks, who is now the New York Times um, columnist and very famous uh, famous pundit on on PBS. So uh, yeah, you can't get more uh, more geekier than I was in school, and. Um, yeah, my experiences of, of having those kinds of friends uh, at school was it really resonated there. Yeah. Now, did you feel that at the time that you guys started shooting Freaks and Geeks and through the season that you, did you feel at the time that you were part of something special and that it would have all this staying power 17 years later? I don't think anyone has any idea of what will have staying power. You know, hey man, lots of things are a mystery. So, you know, I was in Back to the Future. I mean, who, you know, you just don't, you you can't say, you know, at the premiere of anything, and this thing will live forever. <laughs> Mark my words. You know, because, it, because they don't. They don't. But I knew that it was a, a very innovative show being made by very talented people. Um, you don't, I mean, if you're the gym teacher on a TV, TV show, and I've been on the gym teacher on a number of TV shows other than Freaks and Geeks, but Freaks and Geeks is the only one where script by script, they're fleshing out a character into really um, a sympathetic figure and an actual human being. So um, I don't think any anybody had an idea that it would have the... Uh, the staying power, the legs that it has ended up having. But I think everyone was quite aware that we were doing something special, that the work was very good, that the scripts were really good, and that it was a different kind of a show from the other shows um, being made. You know, and, 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 as, and we know that from Judd and Paul going off and kind of between the two of them, revolutionizing comedy in the movies. In, in the same the same approach, um, a, a, a free um, a freewheeling improvisational approach, allowing actors to do their work and then some, but then guiding it with a really very keen eye. Had you done much improv? Was that something new to you, or was that oh, something no, very done a lot like of it. easy yeah. for you? Yeah, I'd done a lot of improv at the... You so know, you really love that aspect of it. I mean, that's something you always kind of wanted to work on, probably. Uh, absolutely. I mean, to, to, do, to, do, to be able to do improvisational kind of things in, in, on camera, you know, when they're filming, uh, that was really something. I mean, I, I've done it forever. I mean, I did, it, I did it in the early movies that I did. You just would, would, would try some things. But... Um, mm -hmm. but Certainly in that day, and even when we were shooting Freaks and Geeks, when you were shooting film, um, you just had to be aware that shooting film is very expensive. So if you came up with something, you know, it had better be good. You know, you tr try a few <laughs> things, but don't, don't just go crazy um, unless you had uh, accepting people like Judd, like Paul, who, I mean, that was okay with them. It was okay with them. And now certainly, as I've worked with Paul in, in movies and things like that, it's still okay. It's, it's, uh, it's a bit easier to do in, in, the digital, in the digital realm because now, really, when they say rolling, nothing's actually rolling. I mean, the camera's on. So there's, when they say cut, yeah, but they very rarely say cut anymore like, like they used to do in movies because their digital cameras, you know, they're the very, very sophisticated version of the digital cameras that we have where, hey, man, you could just keep that thing rolling. So you can do the scene and then Paul runs in and says, hey, that thing you said about that, you know, that Tic Tacs was funny. Do that again, but do this. You know, so you're within the parameters of what the movie needs to be in the scene. Um, but but you're it, it, it can be um, it can be much more improvisational and you don't feel like, well, the camera's rolling and they're spending a lot of money. And if this isn't funny or if this blows it, hmm, that won't feel really good. Uh, I'd like to ask you a question about uh, an episode called Dead Dogs and Gym Teachers. You feature heavily in the show. It's, it's, I think it's your best episode. The acting is so great with you and Martin Starr both together. It's so convincing. What you guys did there was awesome. And I wanted to ask you, 
you know, that show didn't air until after the show was canceled overall. Is that something you were aware of? Was that painful for you? And also, like, what was the experience like filming that episode where you were doing very cool drama stuff there? Yeah, I don't really pay attention to whether anything airs or not. I mean, I just do the work. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the enjoyment that I get out of it is the stuff on the set is doing the work itself. And they're just to me for my work, there just happen to be cameras there who uh, record it and they do whatever they're going to do. And editors, are you know, they just work on it and then it ends up somewhere and then someone wants to talk to me about it. But really, I don't pay any attention after I'm done with that scene. You know what I mean? After that day's work, I don't really think about it a lot. But I but, uh, you know, but that was a great it was a great storyline. Uh, in fact, yeah. in fact, it was, it mirrored, I mean, it had, you know, I didn't tell them this or whatever, but it, it mirrored. So I had a bunch of kind of geeky friends in high school and we liked music. We liked classical music. We were in the jazz band. We liked uh, art. We liked those kinds of things. And the football coach uh, started dating one of the, gr- one of the moms in the group. And so you know, it's this guy was, you know, one the intense football coach guy. And that's amazing that that coincidence. That was exactly. Like a coincidence, so, right. So, yeah, right okay. Exactly. So you end up so, you know, you end up as a kid at a barbecue with all of your nerdy friends and the football coach kind of trying to make friends with us. You know, after ignoring us, but coming up to the group of nerdy kids. So uh, how how are you guys doing over here? You know, whatever. Uh, but but seeing that the guy is actually a human being and he's making an attempt to connect with kids um, was uh, was really something. And that's and that carried over to freaks and geeks that this guy is a human being and he's and for and the great part is he gets to say it in a monologue in the car to Bill right. saying great like, scene. you think I'm a jerk. You think I'm this kind of person. But I'm just a human being, you know, and I think I, I and I think your mom likes me and all, all those kinds of things. Um, it's an adult being judged by a kid and the adult is trying to make his case. Yeah. And that's that's what we love a lot about this series and why we wanted to do it first is like almost everybody can find something that is mirrored in themselves in this show. And it's it's very interesting that you were able to find the thing that related directly to your character. Yes. And every action in the show, like life, has consequences. It doesn't just vanish, you know? I mean, there are jokes when 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 the, the when Coach Fredericks ends up staying at Bill's house and is using Bill's mug in the morning, it actually hurts the kid, you know? It actually hurts the kid. And they show that on the show. It's not just, I mean, it's a bit of a joke, but it actually has a cost. And they both have to deal with that cost on the show, which I thought was, uh, I don't know, there was, a, there was a maturity about the writing um, that I guess I just didn't see in a lot of shows then. You didn't see that a lot before this, and you haven't seen it a lot after. You just haven't seen it a lot after. There's a, you know, I, I, I hate being the old guy in the electric wheelchair complaining about shows, but yeah, you just don't see that. You don't see, you don't see real characters that really resonate with you. Like, wow, this is what my life was like then. And really have really moving scenes. Um, I think it's a lot of. We're back to very, very archetypal scenes and kind of mushy shows. And do you feel like that that realness uh, and the fact that you hadn't really seen this before or since, do you feel like that might have led to its downfall? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because when you when you make something real, when you make, well, not to get on my artistic high horse, but the fa- it's the fact. When you make art that is really connecting a lot of people don't know what to do with it. A lot of people are saying, well, like, what, what do you, I mean, what do you mean by that? What are, you, what are you trying to say by that? Well, what I'm trying to say is that this is what life is like. Yeah, but nobody, 
who wins at the end? You know, does Superman come and does Spider-Man, whatever, and, and save everyone? No, no, nobody gets nobody gets really saved at the end. Everyone just, you know, uh, uh, reacts to things, takes them into their heart, and keeps living uh, in a courageous way. Nah, you know, that's that's to me, that's great art, and that's stuff that's worth watching. Yeah, and that was that was a big criticism from the network that nobody ever had a win in the show. And I, I read a great thing uh, from Paul and Judd saying that uh, the episode, another episode in which you featured pretty heavily, uh, where uh, Martin Starr's character Bill gets to become the captain of the baseball team, and then he finally catches a big pop fly, and that's a big win moment. And then it turns out that uh, you know. He didn't get. He didn't tag up. He got the first out, but then everybody else is still running the bases. So like they still were never able to just give him a right out win. Because because to 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 me, a person who was like that when I was in school, and to those you know that minority of people who love the show, we know that that's what life is like. You don't just catch the ball when you're when you're Martin's character when you're Bill Haverchuk or when you're Tom Wilson back when he was in school you know you don't catch the ball and the music rises and everyone carries you off on their shoulders you catch the ball and no one was watching or you catch the ball and you made some other tiny mistake that makes people you know belittle you so kind of you can't win and that's and so and that's why people say oh my gosh, that's just like my life and why people love it so much or why, you know, or why executives uh, don't like it so much. (laughs) There were a lot of actors, the the younger actors, when they heard about the show getting canceled, they took it pretty hard. But you were a veteran actor by that point. So how exactly did you take the cancellation of Freaks and Geeks? Well, it was very interesting because I was, um, (laughs) they told me this, Uh, they told me, uh, Tom, well, Here's the thing. Um, next season, you're actually Coach Fredericks is going to marry Bill's mom. And we also talked and from, you know, conversing with you and everything, we'd like you to direct maybe one, maybe a couple episodes. And oh. uh, and it's canceled. Oh, no. In in one yeah. sentence, in one yeah. breath, he told you that information? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. So. Wow. So it was, um, you know, so, I mean, uh, Yes, at that point, even I was a veteran actor, so there's pain in it, and there, you know, you take an arrow in the heart, but man, uh, that showbiz, you know, you you pack up your bag, you go home, and you get out there, and you keep working, and you look for the next thing. Was there a sense of like, well, it's their loss? Well, it's it's most definitely their loss, and it's a shame. It's a shame that it's not on, but I don't really... You know, I don't really concentrate on it's it's this fault or it's that fault. I mean, of course, it's a it's executives and everything, but they're doing they're doing what they're they do. You know, they're looking at the bottom line and they're selling soap on commercials and they're just saying this is not making money right now. So it's not going to live. That's you know, that's they're doing their job. That's what they do. I concentrate on doing my job. And, you know, and that's fine. And we we always, you know, the executives in in Hollywood and the and the, um, you know, the the the, uh, art, the artists, you know, we look at each other across a chasm and we don't understand each other and we throw rocks at each other sometimes. But the fact is, you know, both are always going to be around. Executives looking at the bottom line are always going to be around. And artists who the executives say, oh, these artists drive me crazy with their demands and they're trying to be real and they're trying to be the X or Y or Z. You know, and it's just it's going to keep running like that. Now, we mentioned the show wrapped up 17 years ago now. So in the universe of Freaks and Geeks, it would be 1997 about right now. Yeah. Where do you think uh, Coach Fredericks would be right now in 1997? Coach Fredericks would probably be in a small apartment, uh, divorced from Bill's mom. Um, Bill would visit him uh, sometimes, and maybe they'd go to lunch. Um, but um, but I, I really... Do, I, it would be fun to go back and have those guys just write all of those episodes that would lead everyone through life. Um but you can't do it, you know. It lives exactly the way it is. It began the way it began. It ended the way it ended. And that's the, that's what actually makes it a great thing. 
in a way, they didn't run it into the ground. They didn't have to do a third season where the network said, well, now you're really going to have to listen to us because we, you know, the, the ratings haven't been right and we want to get our, get our hands in the pie. You know, they, they didn't make it crummy. It was great. And it, it was what it was. And that's a fantastic thing. So, you know, that's what I concentrate on. It's not, you know, I mean, you, you can't, you showbiz will drive you crazy with that stuff. Oh, what if this show had gone? What if that audition that I went on had, and then this thing wouldn't have happened, but that would have, hey man, I just get up and work, you know? That's a good way to live life. I mean, I, it's the only way I've figured it out, you know, without going crazy. Now, you kind of already touched on this, uh, but we, at the end of each podcast episode, we discuss, uh, now that we're in this world of Netflix and they're taking old properties and rebooting them and even the networks that they were on are rebooting old things that have like a cult following now, it's probably not out of the question for Freaks and Geeks to get some sort of reboot. So do you think that if they were to revisit Freaks and Geeks, would there be a second season, a total reboot, or maybe just a movie, or should it just exist as it was and let it lie. It should most definitely exist as it was and let it lie. There can be another show. I mean, certainly. It's it's very, very rich material. Going to high school and the various cliques and groups and trying to make friends and, and, and young people at that time in their life trying to trying to uh, reinvent themselves as Lindsay did. Um so that that will always be interesting and and available to writers and producers who want to who want to go there who want to explore that stuff. But Freaks and Geeks was what it was. It existed when it existed, and my gosh, most of the kids are movie stars now. You couldn't get them together. I bet Netflix with all their money could get all those guys together for at least a movie. Uh, good luck, man. Good <laughs> luck. That's a lot of star power there. You couldn't even get me, let alone, you know, <laughs> Seth Rogen. Well, Tom, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to oh, do this for us. it was a joy and a pleasure. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. So what are, we, what are you up to now? Do you have anything you want to plug? <laughs> I'm, I'm the last guy who just doesn't plug stuff, you know, because it just, you know, I'm doing, I'm I'm working, I'm doing a lot of uh, voiceovers on a show called Troll Hunters, a show called Three Below. I'm doing, uh, I do my vlog, you know, I'm on YouTube, Tom Wilson USA on YouTube. But I don't, but, but I've long since given up on thinking that, you know, me say, now go see this. And I was on a very special episode of Doubt on CBS. You know, people don't care. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm acting on stuff. I'm writing stuff. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm out there doing stuff. I'm easy to find. You want to find me, you know, look me up on the interwebs. I'm all over the place. Well, thank you so much again, Tom. This was amazing. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Good luck with the podcast. Long may she wave. But just like Freaks and Geeks, hey, who knows what's going to happen with it? Thanks for listening to part one of our conversation on Freaks and Geeks. Join us next week when we go into a deep dive on each of the 18 episodes of Freaks and Geeks one by one. Until then, the conversation continues online. You can find us on Twitter at GoneTooSoonPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash GoneTooSoonPod, or on our website, gonetosoonpod.com. You can even drop us an email at gonetosoonpod at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, we'd love you to leave us a rating and a review wherever you're listening. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We'd like to once again thank our guest, Tom Wilson, who couldn't have been more gracious on our first episode. Until next time, I'm Drew. And I'm Kyle. Remember, you can cancel shows, but you can't cancel the fans. Cancel the fans.